Today is Litari Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Lent. And the Gospel reading appointed for this day is taken from the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, beginning with the first verse. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for, for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about five thousand, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior. Amen. As we consider again the Lord's feeding of the five thousand, an account which is contained in all four Gospels, we know that we are at a critical moment in understanding the ministry of our Savior. In this season of Lent, when the necessity of repentance is ever before our eyes, it is incumbent that we understand the relationship between this Sunday and other Sundays in this season. On Invocavit, we heard of our Lord's victory over the devil at the end of his forty days in the wilderness. On Remenesira, we heard of his casting the demon out of the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman. Last Sunday, Oculi, we heard of his casting out of the mute demon out of a man, and the contention which then ensued with those who tried to attribute such divine works to the schemes of the evil one, and those who purportedly looked for a sign from heaven, even though they were already eyewitnesses of the divine miracle which Jesus had worked before their very eyes. So where do we find the devil's opposition in this account? Consider that which we read in today's epistle reading from Galatians, the fourth chapter. For there we hear the words, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? This is a powerful question which Paul, who had been the Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, posed to the Galatian church. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? The Galatians had gone far astray in their understanding of the law and the gospel because they, there were false teachers present who corrupted the doctrine. For this reason, St. Paul had already declared to them in the first chapter of his epistle to the Galatians as follows, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than, that, than what you have received, let him be accursed. 
the Galatians were afflicted by those who were called Judaizers, who endeavored to impose the Old Testament ceremonial law on the Gentiles. The influence of the Judaizers led to displays of hypocrisy even by Peter and Barnabas. For when the Judaizers were around, they would return to the old way, at least in terms of their outward conduct. This imperiled the people through a temptation to imagine that they would have a greater piety if they were to seek to justify themselves, at least in part, by their works, in addition to that which they had received by grace through faith. For as St. Paul declared to St. Peter, We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we believe have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. St. Paul makes a clear distinction between those who are of the two covenants, for thus he writes in Galatians, the fourth chapter. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. What is the spirit which we find at work among the multitudes who follow Jesus? St. John wrote, Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now a Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. But the time for celebrating Passovers was coming to a conclusion, for the Passover only pointed to Christ. The Passover meal anticipated the Lord's Supper. The multitude came to Jesus, but their mindset remains in the thinking of Hagar and the covenant of bondage. We know this is so, for we behold their reaction at the conclusion of the gospel reading. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. What is at work within the hearts of the multitude is different from that which is being accomplished within the disciples. When Jesus saw the multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip and Andrew gave logical replies to Jesus' question, which are according to the reasoning of the flesh. They think of the problem in terms of logistics, not of a divine miracle. They had not learned from the beginning of miracles the changing of water into wine. St. Matthew records an instant which would transpire later when the disciples had forgotten to bring bread on a journey. For there we read in Matthew chapter 16, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand, or remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand, that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
The multitude thought after the fashion of the covenant of bondage, and wanted for the Messiah to simply see to the matters of this world. They wanted the one who could feed their bellies to reign as king. They beheld the miracle, and rightly said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. But they did not desire that which the Lord had come to accomplish, the salvation of his people. Instead, they followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased, and they desired a bread king who would always fill their bellies. They had eaten, John teaches us, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Having beheld the disciples gathering up vastly more leftovers than had made up the initial meal before the Lord had blessed it, they have rightly perceived the sign and utterly failed to believe aright concerning the work of the Messiah. So again we return to St. Paul's question. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? The Judaizing spirit is at work today. Luther observed in the small cult articles that the chief office or power of the law is that it reveal original sin with all its fruits and show man how very low his nature has fallen and that it has become utterly corrupted, as the law must tell that man neither has nor cares for God and adores other gods, a matter which, before and without the law, would not have been believed. In this way he becomes terrified, is humbled, desponds, despairs, and anxiously desires aid. Neither does he know whither to flee. He begins to be enraged at God and to murmur, etc. This is what Paul says, Romans 4, the law worked wrath. In Romans 5, sin is increased by the law. The law entered that the offense might abound. So far Luther. The reasoning of Hagar is at work when people still are thinking only of particular offenses, that is, when the sinner thinks only in terms of particular sins, when the chief power of the law is to reveal the utter corruption of human nature. It is a shocking thing to think of the bondage, the captivity of the Jerusalem which was, and yet it is often manifest in the Judaizing propensity to this day. When the sinner gains some sense of his guilt, he continues to think only of the discreet act. The thief who is brought to repentance, and knows he has harmed so many people by depriving them of their possessions. Or the drunkard, who knows that his abuse of his body is an offense to the God who fashioned it. Or the fornicator, who feels guilt at what he or she has done. Or the violent man, who finally feels guilt over the harm which he has inflicted on others. The law, working its proper work, continues on to the very core, saying, in essence, do you think that is bad? That is only the tip of the iceberg. You are an offense to the Lord in your every breath, in your every thought. Even in your jaded condition, you might, you still might recognize some guilt. But you are still bound to the thinking which imagines you might do something about that. Like the futile man we heard of in last week's gospel, who was trying to sweep up, clean up his life, only to end up even more captive to the devil. So those who imagine that they will clean up their lives in terms of specific sins do not realize that they are not yet truly repentant. Not entirely. Not as they are ultimately called to be by the law. This is why Luther calls the law a thunderbolt of God, 
by which he strikes manifest sinners and hypocrites in one mass, and declares no one righteous, but forces them all together to terror and despair. True repentance knows what the law has truly shown, that we are worthy of death not only for our greatest sins, but for that which all of the men might praise in us, for that which appears good, but was only a sham to serve our own needs and desires. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? This is why St. James wrote, For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. The law crushes all our smug hypocrisy, which wants to think that we can clean all this up, while remaining corrupted to the very core with the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy and false teaching. The Lord fed the five thousand that the disciples might begin to be schooled in turning away from worldly thinking. We, too, need that divine doctrine which the Holy Spirit imparts, that having been convicted by the law and beholding our utter wretchedness, we would believe that the Son of God became man to bear in his own body not only the big sins, but all of the sin of man, from Adam to the end of the world, that we might stop struggling against the scalpel of the law, as the Lord cuts us to the very core of our being, that the dead, stony heart of sin would be cut out of our flesh, and a living heart, born of the gospel, would beat within our chests. Such faith beholds the Christ crucified, and thus beholds the price which was paid for our transgression. Such faith beholds the Christ risen from the dead, and thus beholds the hope of all who believe, and the trust which knows that he will gather us to be with him in paradise. It is a faith which prays the collect. Grant, we beseech the Almighty God, that we, who for our evil deeds do worthily deserve to be punished, by the comfort of thy grace may mercifully be relieved. The Christ who fed the five thousand and who has given to us all good things which we ever have or ever shall have in this fallen world, is the one who is our life and salvation, the one in whom we believe, who bestows an immeasurably greater gift upon us in the forgiveness of our sins and our life and salvation in him. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech the Almighty God, that we who for our evil deeds do worthily deserve to be punished, by the comfort of thy grace, may mercifully be relieved. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The people of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone invite you to visit them today for the 10.30 a.m. worship service. We also have services on Wednesday at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. during the season of Lent. There is one announcement with regard to the change in our schedule in coming weeks, as we are soon to return to having a single service on Sunday mornings, instead of two services at 9.30 and 10.30, as we've had for, well, the better part of a year. On Palm Sunday, the last Sunday this month, we will return to a single service, which will be at 10 a.m., which will be followed by Bible class. So if all the other time changes for today weren't confusing enough, there is one more to anticipate. Salem is located approximately two miles north of Malone off of FM 308. These broadcasts are provided through the support of the members of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone.